What makes this song great? Is this the glasses? True. I'm Adam Manis. And I'm Peter Martin. And you're listening to the You'll Hear It podcast. Jazz. Splained. Splained brought to you by Open Studio. Go to Open Studio Jazz to go on a deeper dive. Peter, today we're talking about our good friend, Mr. <laughs> Levins. Mr. Bill Levins. No, Bill Evans. Of course, the great Bill Evans. I felt like I was levitating on that beautiful intro. It's a gorgeous tune. Of course, this yeah. is Waltz for Debbie. So we started an Open Studio it. Pro over on the Repertoire Club, which we have Mondays and Wednesdays, we do the Repertoire Club. We're learning Waltz for Debbie, Bill Evans' iconic composition. Famous, uh, people say I've been using iconic too much in the comments. So famous. <laughs> people have been saying I've been using bespoke. I would say this is a bespoke iconic. Oh my God. Uh, let me check with my attorneys. I think our next They've episode is going to be the most bespoke <laughs> iconic albums of all time. Uh, no, this is a, a, a classic <laughs> tune. Obviously, it's a. Uh, so I'm losing my adjectives for something as iconic. It's iconic. It's iconic. He's about, iconic. I start saying iconic and you start using bespoke. And this, you call our attorneys. It truly is a bespoke composition. Well, it's for Debbie, but it goes to four. Are you kidding me? I know. Uh, no, uh, we've been learning this over at the Repertoire Club. And we did a little bit of a listening session on this tune, just listening to a bunch of different versions. And I was struck how many versions came out pretty much right after Bill Evans released the first uh, couple of versions. He recorded it with his own trio. He recorded it with Cannonball Adderley. That's a great one. It's a really yeah. great version. And we have... Um, I mean, it's all good. It's such a great tune. And I thought, like, well, what makes this so great? What makes this song... And what makes a standard a standard? What, how does it catch on? We've had some recent standards. I'm thinking about, you know, Strasbourg Saint-Denis, mm. the Roy Hargrove tune, which is you can hear pretty much at any jam session across the country here, yeah. maybe across the world, I'm sure. But... Uh, how does that happen, and why does that happen, and yeah. what is it about Waltz for Debbie that made that happen? Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's no, no, have no. <laughs> no, I think the first you, you kind of already hit on it. The first one, like it works great, trio, quintet. That's right. You know, singing it, singing it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like how flexible is it? Like you can kind of see that out the gate. Um, that's that's sort of a prerequisite, I would say, for a standard. I would agree with that. Yeah, that it's playable and that it's very flexible and can be used in multiple different ways. So this is uh, from a show in London. A TV show in London in 1965. This is Chuck Israel's on the base. Is this bass. the Benny Hill show by any chance? That's another TV show that came out of London. No, it's not. Okay. Uh, but this is Chuck Israel's on the base, Larry Bunker on the drums, 1965. Let's just watch a little bit of this version of Waltz for Debbie, and then I want to I want to listen to that one trio. more. Let's talk about maybe. that trio setup. Visually oh, and great. the way it sounds, the way you can communicate. I love that setup. I like a drum on a riser. I'll be honest. That's right. Yeah, it looks good. That's great composition right there. It is. Good hand position right there, Mr. Evans. Simple. Beautiful technique. Uh, Hinting at the groove a little bit, right? Yeah, so famously, Waltz for Debbie starts as a waltz in 3-4, but it will quickly go into a 4-4 straight ahead thing. The the triads. Yep. Drop two and then not drop two. Thank you. 
little bit of distortion on the recording, but that's okay. It sounds just beautiful. It looks beautiful. Look how he kind of smashes those clusters together. Yeah. Woo! Yeah. And they it's kind of sloppy how they go into the groove. That's a little bit In a bit beautiful off, yeah. way, though, Yeah, right? no, it's it's a gorgeous groove they've got going yeah. here. It's such a dramatic thing from going out of time. In, like, it's out of time, but it's a waltz, but they go into a swinging waltz. Well, and this is the style of trio, of course. Like, you'll notice Chuck Israel's... He's gonna he's gonna do his own thing quite a lot more than sort of your average trio. He's gonna go up into thumb position a lot. He's gonna comment rhythmically a lot more. The last episode we talked about confidence within the group. Bill Evans is a great example of that. Okay, what makes this so standard? Okay, so first of all, that's great. Check out, we'll put a link, Caleb, please put a link to this YouTube video uh, in the show notes. So I think this, the, the melody, of course, is what yeah. was what draws people in. This The song has a bit of melancholy with the changes. We're in F, right? And we have just a very simple like one, six, two, five, but kind of in the same vein as all the things you are. Like fourth, here, fourth movement harmonically, which gives it a kind of journey, yeah, journey sort of feel. That's story. right. So we start off really as an A minor seven, like a on the on a three chord, but it, but this turns into an F major. It, it's a mediant of the tonic. But notice here the melody. If we consider this A minor seven, yeah, the melody is a C. The D minor melody is an F. The G minor seven melody is a B flat. So the so third the, is yeah. just like all the things you are. So I think there is something to that. And also, you know, it's one bar each. Um, one, two, three, one, two, three. Right, and one, it's on two, the one. On the one. And there's something to this as well. So. And then this little thing here is so gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the coming up. And then there's a couple of tonal center shifts. It, it shifts to A, it shifts to E, it shifts all over the place uh, in, in a couple of different spots. But I really think it has mostly to do with the melody. I want to listen to a version here. I want to listen actually to a couple of different singers. Yep. So um, I think too, just as you're pulling that up, like this combination of simplicity, starting on the one, it being a, a waltz, um, the melody and the harmony moving very simply and kind of in lockstep together. But from the very beginning, like you're going on a journey. So it's like this simplicity, but it's also a story that's being set up at the beginning, you know? And then of course, that's developed more. That's usually the hallmark of a great jazz standard. That's right. 
So let's listen to a couple of different vocal versions. The lyrics here are by Gene Lees, who also wrote the English version of Cor Cavado, Quiet Nights for Quiet oh, Stars, yeah. wrote the lyrics for that. Quiet Nights of Quiet Stars. So the first version we're going to listen to is, and a big is ooh, there it is, a little spoiler, is maybe the most famous vocal version. And honestly, I don't think this works as well. Mm. I think this is a little too melancholy. The melody and the chord changes are already kind of melancholy. Yep. And I feel like Tony Bennett here on the Tony Bill, Bill Evans album, which is an amazing album, Yep. I feel like this, in my opinion, it goes a little too far into the sort of syrupiness of what could happen. And the lyrics are sentimental, we'll say. Nostalgic, maybe. Nostalgic. Uh, Debbie was Bill Evans' niece, Debbie Evans. The lyrics are all about a child growing up and leaving home and yeah. feeling uh, sentimental about that. Maybe it defines the story a little more than we want as that the, the, the melody just leaves more to our imagination. So I think so. Well. It's very specific. Well, I think with the way that they're playing it here, it does. It's a verse. In the sun, it's beautiful. Don't get me wrong. Like, to music. But when you listen to this version from Johnny Hartman, I think... Hank Jones on piano here. I think this actually is the best lyrical version I've heard of this song. This is earlier. This is 62, I think. And because it's, they do it a little just more straightforward. Yeah. Taking a lot of the sentimentality out of it. Populated by dolls and clowns. Same lyrics. Same lyrics. And a big purple bag. But because they're not sort of like dragging out the emotion of it like Bill and Tony kind of were like spending more time getting that this is and sort having of like, a full trio helps with that maybe there's a little bit more of a groove here to me this is like Unaware my second favorite version outside of Bill's original version this is your jam my jam going to an unusual major temporary tonic center there she dances it's a story, even without the lyrics. This, this is a story. I think that's what makes it work. All of those little tonal center shifts, too, I think makes it... It's one of the reasons why it became a standard. So, and like a jazz... Like, we should kind of just quickly define jazz because this really is a jazz standard this is not a great american songbook standard the lyrics were added well, afterwards i believe what's interesting is around the time bill wrote this and released it a lot of singers recorded a version sarah vaughn recorded yeah. a version tony bennett obviously recorded a couple of different versions he wrote an earlier version than the one he did with bill evans johnny hartman did i believe ella did as well everybody kind of recorded their version yeah. of waltz for we'll debbie it. but it's maintained its standard his jazz standard as you were saying yeah uh, status, I think because of those tonal center shifts, it's yeah. super fun to play over. Well, yeah, exactly. So fun to play over, fun to listen to, and fun to play over. That, yeah. That's any kind of standard. Yeah, like, yeah. you have to have those elements. It's got to be fun for everybody. That's like, right. there's certain tunes that are like, even maybe become jam session tunes because they're fun for players to play, but they're not necessarily standards to the listeners. And so to me, they don't become full standards. It's the same reason why right, everybody loves has that. become... Strasbourg Saint-Denis has become such a hit yeah. to play at jam sessions because it's so much fun to play. Yeah. And I think that the reason I was saying this is more of a, I mean, it's a, it's maybe not a, a necessary thing to make the distinction, but maybe it is, between a great American songbook standard and a jazz standard. Like this to me is a jazz standard. First of all, some of those harmonic 
like uh, little journeys and things that make they, like those aren't substitutions. Those were originally written into the tune. One hundred percent. You know what I'm saying? Like it's whereas, written by a jazz pianist. It's written by a jazz pianist, yeah. and I mean you could kind of say the same of that for like. Um, I don't know, maybe some Gershwin song. I mean, like, there was so much jazz influence there, but you didn't hear, like, most of the substitutions and alternate ways of playing those types of, like, truly American songs that, that were originally written with the lyric and the melody connected from the beginning, whereas this was, like, an instrumental, Yeah, I believe. Yeah. I could be wrong, but I think that... It wasn't an instrumental originally. Right, yeah. so yeah. the lyric, and, and it doesn't make it any less potentially powerful as a vocal in terms of, like, adding that lyric in it and it could be at the level of a greater I'm not saying that I'm just saying it's different this is more connected with like a Thelonious Monk composition or a Wayne Shorter composition or a Herbie Hancock composition like it's truly a jazz so it's yes there's still different ways to interpret it and to play it but it's primarily coming it's starting from a jazz place it's not like taking something and turning it into something bigger than maybe it was intended at the beginning let's check out one more version and we'll go out on this one this is from 1961 so this is the same year that Bill Evans released it Cannonball Adderley, Bill Evans in the band. Yeah. So this is, know what Riverside. I mean, Cannonball Riverside. Adderley with Bill Evans. OJC. Know what I mean? That's a great cover. Bill Evans famously played this verse introduction the same. It's worth, I think it's worth learning. This is great. If you learn the tune, it's worth learning how he played it. Yeah. It's Closely as you can get, because he obviously was playing it rote. Yeah. And with that phrasing, mm. it's beautiful, back. beautiful touch. Theatrical. It's kind of theatrical. It is. I, I mean, tunes in three. Scene. Tunes in three are cinematic. Yeah. You know. But just a da 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 da. Rolling, rolling, rolling. We're all rolling. Ooh. Oh, instant swing. Instant group. Oh. Yep. What? Oh, is this Philly Joe? I think it is. I think yeah. snare. This brush is not like killer. I think it's. I think it's PC Philly Joe. Yeah. Cannonball makes everything better. Yeah. You ever notice that? Man, Bill Evans comping on here. Oh, I stand corrected. Percy Heath and Connie K, of course. What? Yes. This is a great trio. Man, I listen to this record a lot. I, I apologize for messing that up. Goodbye. Oh, yeah, this is a killer record. Man, Bill Evans comping. It's this is like... Bill Evans... Pretty great comper in general. Textbook on yeah. here. And I mean, that way of comping. You know, Cannonball is hard to comp behind. Well, and but Bill has a style of comping. He waits for that one to happen. Yeah. And then kind of comments after the one. Exactly. But there was nothing out of place. There was some unexpected stuff the way he was comping. Cannonball's hard to comp to the way like a great. A quarterback is hard, unless you're great, it's hard to receive the ball. It's so perfect, but you got to be so athletic, you know. Like the way his spacing is so idiosyncratic. It's a great solo, yeah. too. 
Cannonball, one of those players, he's never 10 seconds away from the melody. Right. You know what I mean? Yes. Or the blues. behind not cannonball but like other great solos like this that are they combine like very expected things with very idiosyncratic ways to phrase it back and forth it's, you gotta be on your toes to combine you know uh, and pulling it apart like that's a very like expected thing Then kind of deconstruct. Philly Joe is on Interplay. That's on the Bill Evans album Interplay. I don't know. You know, for me too. Like, well, let me throw one more thing in there. I've um, always thought and this might be controversial, but I, I think I think Bill is not as strong in scenarios where the rhythm section isn't sort of filling up a lot of space around him. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Could, yeah. Could like be. when he's left to like a tip in rhythm section, it can't get more tipping than than this rhythm section yeah. either. I mean, they just sound so swinging. But to me, that's not my. I don't think he's as like. I don't think he's able to be as comfortable somehow. I don't know. Like, I think he kind of feeds off of like the Scott LaFaro, Eddie Gomez energy. Right. Somehow. Well, but did that become like a self fulfilling It might have been. It might have been. The repertoire, the way they play, kind of pushed towards that. It 100% could be my own bias. And that, like, when I hear him, I yeah. think of that style and I want to hear yeah. just more of that. But I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, you're biased. I am biased. <laughs> Till next time. You'll hear it. <laughs>